Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Each week on Steam Cleaners, I and my lovely co-host delve into two games, games that we have never talked about on the show before. Uh, And when I refer to my lovely co-host, I am referring to the fantastic Walter C. 80 Svetchuk. Walter, how you doing, buddy? I am, you know, Chase... We've turned the beginning of this podcast into into mainly us talking about sports, although last time it was K-pop, but with a kind of sports bent. And I got to mm-hmm. tell you, it's been it's been a mostly positive week here as a Bills fan. Uh, we mm-hmm. had uh, YouTuber and comedian Tom Grassi uh, show up outside of Highmark Stadium and jump through a table. Um, yes, because shout out people, to the Grassi Posse Packer Nation. Oh. Because we donated a bunch of money and he's doing this 30 and 30 tour, which actually is a a fucking brilliant idea. Uh, Josh Allen is now a Madden cover athlete, something uh, I never thought in my entire Bills fandom I would ever fucking see uh, besides like those like custom. Oh, yeah. Print it out yourself. Pick whatever player. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, But all of this has come at the cost of a beloved member of Bills Mafia Nation. Pat Robertson was 98 years old. No, fuck Pat Robertson. I hope you and Ronald Reagan are enjoying your AIDS and hell together. Uh, happy pride. That's happy pride. Happy pride. Fuck Pat Robinson. You are a fucking bigot. Uh, no, the Iron Sheik passed away uh, mm. yesterday, uh, which is, uh, you know, I, I he wasn't like the most popular, um, like most widely known Bills Mafia fan. I, I think, um, you know, he attended a game last year and... Uh, you know, he, he always makes his jokes on Twitter. It's probably the greatest follow on Twitter, uh, if we're going to be honest. Um, me being a wrestling fan, you know, I've gone back and I have watched a few uh, a few matches from back in his heyday. Um, but he, he always seemed like just a really entertaining guy. He really understood um, how to interact with people on the internet. It was always a joke. Uh, and he knew before the rest of us to hate Hulk Hogan. So, mm-hmm. um, you know... Go Sheiky, baby. I I hope you're enjoying your afterlife, and I can only hope uh, that your family finds some solace in uh, the uh, the entertainment and love that you brought to the rest of the world if your name isn't Hulk Hogan. Uh, He'll break your back. So... Uh, It's been interesting. It's been a pretty... It's been a pretty interesting week, though, being a Bills fan. Uh, Chase, I do have to ask you a question. Are you still feeling good about the Falcons? Well, I mean, you talk about Josh Allen being on the cover of Madden this year. Obviously, Desmond Ritter is going to be on the cover next year. That's that's where Falcons country is at. Um, no, we're screwed. Uh, but we're in a terrible division, so it's fine. Um, you know, we can just ignore the fact that our defense is being propped up by a bunch of veterans who aren't going to be here three years from now um, because we're just in a transition period in a division that is so bad that you can get away with being in a transition period and probably go a nine, nine and eight and win the division. You don't need a winning record to win our division. We proved that last year. Um, and everyone else in our division's worse, I would argue. Um, I will say this as far as football goes. I hate how much I like CJ Stroud. I really don't like having to like the quarterback of a division rival that I'll be going up against for the next decade plus. But he seems like a really cool guy. I, I Everything I see from him uh, is incredibly likable, and I dislike how much I think he's going to be a strong asset for the Panthers moving forward. Though, I will say, of all the teams in our division, I dislike the Panthers the least. So if there's going to be a strong division rival we have to worry about for the next decade, I would rather it be the Panthers than the Bucks or the Saints. Fuck the Saints, as always. Uh, that is the Falcons subreddit motto. Way more than praising our own team is just telling the Saints to go fuck themselves. So um, that's that's where I'm at as a sports fan. But you know, Walter, this is not a sports podcast, though the intros do seem to skew that way. This is a gaming podcast. And when we talk about games that we have played, I know you're on a, a little bit of a shorter deadline given that i switched things up on us last week but uh last week when we're recording this of course um walter what have you been playing 
So here, here's the thing, right? I've been alluding to this game that I've been playing in the background that's um, that's been taking me some time. And and the funny thing is that that going into this week, right, going into Monday of this week on my day off, um, I kind of was like, I was almost at the point where I was about ready to give up on the game, not because of anything bad or anything, but just like it's a slight, it's a slightly older game, you know, it's you know five six years old. And for some reason, it wasn't just, like, hooking me. It was reminding me of another game that I've played, you know, for the show. And I was like, well, that game did this better. Like, I enjoy it better. And then I don't know why, but for some, like, somehow this week, um, the, like, 10 hours that I added into it this week, it finally caught me. And I'm like, oh, shit, no, I actually, like, want to beat this game. I want to play it through the end. Like, it finally got its hooks into me. Um, I, I was fighting a boss um, not last night, but the night before. It took me an hour and a half to defeat this boss. Uh, so... I'm not ready to talk about that game, um, which is really bad news when it's like two days before you're supposed to record an episode about video games and you don't have a game to talk about. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to lie here. I'm, I'm digging deep into the bag, right? I'm going to the golf bag and I'm trying to find something that I can use to hit this shot out of the bunker. And I gave Chase two options and I already knew which option he was going to pick. So Chase, slay the spire. Mm-hmm. Slay the Spire, it, it, it's a very interesting game to me because we, we cut it off kind of as we were talking in pre-call, but it is a game that is continually installed on my computer, right? It's, it's always on file. It's always installed. It's always ready to go. And it's one of those games that when I boot some, boot up my computer and I don't have anything that I'm already playing, right? I have the like, well, do I play Madden? Do I play 2K? Do I play League? Do I play... TFT, what, you know, do I play Slay the Spire? It's like kind of this list of like, what kind of game can I hop into for an hour or two, kill some time, relax. And it's always there. It's always in the Steam library. It's always ready to go. And it's that funny thing where I, I don't play card games like you do. I don't have spreadsheets. I don't care about like min-maxing everything. I'm just like, can I play something? And... Is it going to be entertaining to me? Is it going to be challenging enough to me where it's not just like a cookie clicker game? But do I also get rewarded for like accomplishing things? And Slay the Spire is right in that sweet spot where I feel like I can kind of adjust, you know, the difficulty if I'm like, I want more of a challenge today. Or I can, you know, I can back off on it and I can just go a full on dagger build and just, you know, breeze my way. Uh, you know, up through some levels. So it, it it's a nice little sweet spot of a game that I can always play no matter how long it's been. Yeah, I think the best way to describe Slay the Spire is as a comfort game. Um, and obviously, it didn't necessarily start out that way, right? At the time in which it came out, the kind of roguelike card game was very much an emerging principle. I want to be careful about saying that it's the first because I'm sure that similar ideas had come out beforehand. But it's certainly the one that made the genre catch fire and really grab the attention of uh, a whole bunch of developers who would then put their own kind of spin on things. But I, I think there's a reason that Slay the Spire has lasted as long as it has, which is that the base formula is really good. So for the sake of those who haven't played Slay the Spire, perhaps are not card game roguelike fans inherently, can you just kind of give a brief summary of what it is about this gameplay loop uh, that really grabs you and keeps you coming back to it? I think it's just because every run is different. Now, whether you go for the same kind of play style or not, it, it's going to be slightly different, right? There are going to be runs where you get, you know, the perfect build. You get absolutely every single card you need. You get the the, the right relics. Um, you get the right kind of pathway of... Um, uh, of the question marks, which are like the random rooms of shops of enemies. And you, you just get like the best draws that just help you burn through the boss at the end of the stage. And you're like, well, that's fucking fine. That worked out great. Uh, or um, you, you get it where you have 50 random cards in your deck uh, and you just have to have to hope for the best. Right. And you just have to try and make it work. <laughs> 
with the mm-hmm. relics that you get. Um, there are some times where you want to challenge yourself and you're like, cool, I'm not going to add any cards to my deck. I'm not going to add any relics if I can help it unless I accidentally am like forced to take a relic, you know, by beating a boss or something. Uh, you know, you can create your own challenge and your own kind of level of um, frustration, I guess, with the game. Um, and, and it is, it's a very simple premise, right? You, you, you are a character, you start out with a beginner, uh, a beginner number of cards, beginner deck, so to speak, and you are working your way through a map, uh, that has different branching paths that have different, uh, different opportunities, whether it's fighting against, uh, you know, fighting against enemies, whether it's shops, whether it's these question mark rooms that, uh, you know, encounters that they could be enemies, they could be, uh, a random, you know, it's text generated. So it could give you some options of things you want to do. Like, do you want to sacrifice a card to gain something, uh, to gain a relic? Do you want to, you know, give this random person money to see if maybe they give you something back? Maybe you just randomly get a relic. You know, there's all these different things that can happen. And as you work your way through the map, you finally get to a boss at the end. And the goal is to beat the boss and then uh, to, you know, continue progressing through the levels. Um, And it is just a gameplay loop that once you kind of understand the core premise of I am playing cards to deal damage to enemies and or protect my health from these enemies. And my goal is to make it to the end of the, the map without losing any health. Um, it's a pretty straightforward gameplay loop just at its start. And then you can add all the complexities of, well, there's particular builds, you know, there's particular decks that you can build under each different class, and and you could have an armor-focused build, you could have just like a straight damage-focused build, you could have a poison build, you could have a combo build, you could have all these other things, and that's not even the getting into that this game has like a ridiculous amount of mod support to it, and there are like a ridiculous number of mods there's like a pokemon mod there's like a dbz mod there's like all of these things that a very uh, a large group of creative people way more creative than i am uh have, have created and have put out there for you to engage with uh, but at the end of the day it's a really simple straightforward play a card do a thing try to beat the enemies and beat the boss. And there's something that just scratches the right part of your bra- right part of my brain. Like you said, it's a comfort game. It's something that I can come back to whether I played the game yesterday or six months ago. And after about five, 10 minutes, you get back into the swing of things and you're like, oh, right, this is how you play the game. And this is how you, you progress. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that's really interesting when you play other games in the same genre, right? Like I've got a game I'll be talking about uh, a couple episodes from now, probably, um, that is very much in the same genre, but it's missing some core elements that make Slay of the Spire so streamlined. Because every game that's come out for Slay of the Spire feels like they need to put their own twist on it, right? You need to be doing some new thing, because otherwise people will just play Slay of the Spire because it's so good at what it's trying to do. And it does that by keeping your options limited while giving you plenty of choices that feel like they matter. You know, you only have four classes, right? And you choose which class you want to play at the beginning. Obviously, if you download the mods, there could be way more choices out there. But on a base level, you've got four classes, and each one has about three different archetypes that you can try to merge into. There are relics that are consistent across all runs, and a few relics that are specific to the class that you pick. Um, There's a certain limit of bosses for each level. You know, it's going to be one of three of the main bosses with a couple um, elites along the way that are kind of like your stronger monster encounters, but um, ultimately are consistent across all runs. What makes it great is that knowing all of these variables, knowing how these units are going to respond and how they engage with what you're trying to do, doesn't detract from the experience it adds to it it makes you feel really smart when you put together a combo that you've never quite seen before or that you saw that this enemy was coming and you know exactly how to deal with them because you've encountered them before and you know what it is that they do and what to expect and you perfectly outmaneuver them in order to get the outcome that you're looking for and that's something that only happens when you have streamlined an experience to focus only on the things that matter. You've you've cut the fluff and gotten something that is a very tight, engaging experience. And I think there's something really cool about that. And there's something really cool about how well that has held up 
Do you have like a favorite class, a favorite archetype that you find yourself coming back to whenever you play the game? Or are you someone who kind of lets the cards come to them as they will? I I genuinely let the cards come to them as they will, but I love defect. I, I really enjoy playing defect. Not because like I'm particularly good with the character or anything like that, but I just kind of like the like the orb system, the android like aesthetic. It just is very interesting to me. And I think it's just it's fun to kind of see what the cards give you and then try to be like, okay, well now how do I balance this with the orb system above him? Because, you know, he channels through these orbs and as he as each orb is consumed, it it, it accomplishes a different thing. And uh it just, it's it's more fun to me than, like, an ironclad armor build, right? Like, that's something that I also really default to sometimes. If I'm playing ironclad, that's what I'm going to I'm gonna go to. I kind of like the idea of being this, like, unstoppable, like, monster. And then you get the right relic that's like, okay, and then at the end of the turn, you break all your armor and you do damage to the enemy. And so you're like, ha! I just, I clear entire rooms just by, like, having one turn. And... Um, and, and then it's a similar thing to, uh, when you play silent using the dagger build, right. And just, just like comboing daggers infinitely. And I think the most fun I have with this game is when I can pull off like a one turn combo, right. And, and maybe it's not turn one, maybe it's turn two or turn three, but like when you get that and you're just like, I have 500 points of, of health in front of me and I'm going to wipe it off the board in this one turn there's something that's just very fun about that and not necessarily in like a big challenge type of way, but just in a, like I made big number go small, my brain super big, like very, very simple that just gets at the heart of things. Um, and, and like I said, defect, the, the orb mechanic, I think just because the first time I played him, I had such like so many problems trying to play that character that I just, like, I didn't. I was like, ah, I don't want to play this. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to do this. I mean, just play Ironclad and just do armor build or just do dagger build. Like, let me do something simple. And, like, the first time I had a defect run where I really understood and, like, got good cards and sort of figured out the combos and I'm like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Oh, I have five orbs now instead of three. Like, once I finally got that character, I was like, oh, this is really fun to play because there's, like, a mini game inside the game and when i make it work and i get the combo right and i get the ordering of everything right i feel really smart but then when i like mess up the combo i don't feel like i'm not mad at the game because like it fucked me or anything it's like oh i played the cards in the wrong order like that's i'm an idiot um mm -hmm. it, it's just fun i love defect yeah that's my problem with the defect is that i always play the mini game and I'm like, how do I get the most value out of my invoke? And then the game's like, well, we're going to kill you. Like, do you have a plan against that? And I'm like, but but my mana, look at how well I used my energy. I was so efficient. And they're like, yeah, but you're dead. It's like, oh, whoops. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I've always been a big uh, silent dagger build. I love the daggers. Give me a whole bunch of free cards I can play each turn. Give me relics that give me advantages when you play more and more cards in a turn or give all of your cards a poison effect so that your little daggers end up doing a whole bunch of damage over time. That's that's my stuff because I get to dump the clip at an enemy uh, and then they just uh, feel sad about it. And that's pretty fun. Um, but that's the thing that's so smart about this game is that every class plays differently and has its own angles to it so that it feels satisfying when you play it the defect plays so differently than every other class because it has the orbs the watcher plays so differently than every other class because it has the stances that you're switching back and forth for you have to decide when to be defensive when to be aggressive how balanced do you want your deck to be to be switching between the two because entering a stance gives you some sort of bonus that you can take advantage of if you're timing that switch eloquently or you can stay in a single stance and really take advantage of what that stance is capable of if you draft the right cards to it. It's a different puzzle within the same game and against the same enemies, which means you're thinking of the same opponents in a completely different perspective. And that's just really cool. Um, you mentioned the mod side of things, and I, I think that's something... I spent a lot of time with the mods in the pre-Watcher days, and then a lot of my mods became outdated, and every time I tried to load my mod launcher, it ended up crashing the game, and I've just never done the purge that's probably necessary. Do you have like a particular mod you'd like to shout out? 
I, I honestly know because the thing is, is I remember back when I played this game, not a lot, but like often enough. And you did too. You would like recommended a bunch of mods to me like, oh, try this, try this, try this. And then like the problem with having so much community support and so much mod support is you don't even know where to begin. Like you don't even know what to try first, right? And I, I kind of have the same problem with like Minecraft in certain ways where like I'll see people playing like the Pokemon mod in Minecraft and I'll be like, oh, that looks kind of fun. Like that looks kind of interesting to play. But then there's a part of you that goes right, but then I have to learn an entirely separate game within the game I already know how to play and there's like all of these changes. So it was something that like, it was too overwhelming for me to actually ever dive into <laughs> and like pick something and be like, I absolutely have to play this. Um, I was much more of a like, well, let me just play what I already know. So I don't have to learn something new. And then I would log in and I would play defect and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to make the numbers get bigger. And then I'd get the relic that gives me 50 random cards. And I'm like, fuck. All right. Well, how do I, how do I make this work? <laughs> Because I don't know what's in my deck anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the shenanigans can escalate quickly. And there is a compounding factor when you have too many mods installed. Um, you kind of have to be careful if you want to have a quote-unquote balanced experience. But also, balance is something that you get to opt into, right? It, it's the same when it comes to difficulty. You could play it at its base level and have a, a fine time. If you want more challenge, the ascension modes exist. I never climbed as high as a lot of the YouTubers that I follow, for instance. Um, it's kind of amazing to me how easily they go through things, given uh, what a challenge it is for me to get to those higher ascension levels. But I also don't care, because the base experience is so fun that you can choose whether you want to engage with that extra level of difficulty or not, and you're still going to have a good time. It's it's there for whatever level in which you want to engage with it. and. That's something that's just kind of rare, I suppose. Um, that's, I guess... That's like the best kind of comfort game, right? It's like something that allows you to choose what level of complexity, what level of challenge. Like, how much do you want to buy into this right now? If you're like me and it's something where it's just like, I want the option to play it for an hour and just be like reminded... It's craft mac and cheese, right? It's craft dinner for all you Canadian friends. It's something that you could just make it right out of the box, right? And it and it's really simple. It's simple ingredients, right? It's some butter, it's some milk, it's the powdered cheese in there. Boil some water, make the noodles, drain them, make your mac and cheese, right? And box mac and cheese, you know you're not getting a five-star gourmet meal, right? But it reminds you of your childhood. It, it has a certain taste and you're like, that's what I want, Right? And then you might add some things to it, right? There's the very traditional, oh, cut up, cut up some Oscar Mayer hot dogs and throw that in there. And like, oh man, that's like a little kid, right? You're a little kid. That's how your parents served it to you. Uh, and then you have like my girl, my my partner's version of it, where she adds, um, she adds a little bit of hot sauce, she adds some some pepper to it, and she adds some peas to it. And like that's her version of it. And like that's a pretty good version of it, right? It tastes pretty good, but it's not quite what I want. And then maybe if I make it, maybe I'll add, you know, maybe I'll add some ham to it or I'll add some bacon to it. Or you can like add things to it. You add broccoli to it. You know, you add whatever you want to it to make it your version of what you want. But at the end of the day, it's still a fucking blue box of craft dinner. <laughs> mm -hmm. And like, that's what makes this game so good is that if I really wanted to, when we're done with this podcast, I could go in there. I could do a bunch of research on a bunch of different mods, try and figure out what I want to play. If I want to play Goku in this thing or whatever, or <laughs> I could just load it up, maybe play through a run or two to remember like, Oh, what exactly am I looking at for a silent dagger bill? Find those cards and then just go off and combo 30 cards in one turn and be like, Oh yeah, I remember what this is like. So mm -hmm. yes, I, I know what you were about to ask chase when I, when I uh, accidentally interrupted you. Um, I do. I recommend this game. Um, I recommend it for full price. I recommend it for the, you know, $25 that they, they charge it for. I'm sure you can get it on sale during spring sale, summer sale, whatever. Um, but it is a great game to have in your back pocket for whatever kind of experience you want in that sort of card, you know, deck building roguelike genre. 
of do you want to super try hard and figure out the most optimized way to play it? Or do you want to do the opposite and try and find the least optimized way to play it and get rid of all the good cards and be like, can I beat this game just playing block? I don't know. You have to get really lucky on your relics, but I'd be interested to see if anybody could accomplish that. Yeah, I mean, there are so many challenges that you can do. And there's, you know, once you add mods in, I mean, the the amount of content that YouTubers can put out there simply by customizing a game is wild. Um, It's, you know, it's one of those games where, like, it's been such a standby for so long that it's easy to forget just how good it is or to get lost and like, oh, well, there have been games that have come out before, you know, since then that have innovated on this idea and those games have X, Y, and Z going on. And that's all well and good. You don't need to take away from those games because this game exists. But that also is true in reverse. Slay the Spire on its own is still fantastic. And there is something incredible about a game that manages to be so timeless that that gameplay loop can exist on its own as the same thing that it was built to be and all of the things that the community has built it out to be since then and still have a great time. All those bells and whistles and different flavors and things that other companies have added, they can all be valuable. But the core of Slay of the Spire is as tight as you could hope for for a game like this. So I recommend it too. It's a fantastic game and I'm glad that you took the time to talk about it because... I love taking a trip down memory lane in my card game roguelike career um, and remembering why Slay the Spire is just that damn good. Listen, I had to get you out of your card game roguelike comfort zone by me being the one to pick the game because now you can't pick something in the same genre. This is a hidden rule that nobody else knew about up until this moment. <laughs> and, and it's me. It's, it's great because... I'm, I'm going to quote this message from Chase earlier because he was asking, you know, for kind of a, you know, pick one of three doors for me of what game he was going to talk about. And his message, and I quote is, I've got three choices for tonight. A new game, a sequel to a game I've played on the show, and a curveball that I'm not sure I actually have the guts to talk about in a publicly available podcast episode. And Chase, I think you knew which option I was going to choose. If anybody knows me and and our relationship i am going to choose the most embarrassing option for you at every single possible turn so chase what hentai game did you play this week oh man this is going to be a weird one um it's not (laughs) hentai so that's cool um it is a smut game uh, and it's called being a dick um and i want to take a step back to acknowledge two things right off the cuff one This is not going to be a review of the porn scenes within the game. I don't feel equipped to talk about those, and there's only one meter that you need to judge them by. Are they hot or are they not? And the answer is, they're well-written. That's all you need to know. There's nothing else we're going to gain from that conversation, so just know that that's true, and we'll put that to the side. The second thing is that this is not just a porn game. This is the game that if you go online, if you check out forums, if you spend any amount of time in like adjacent circles in a visual novel perspective. This is a game that the community says is much more than just a porn game. This is a game that has a beautiful plot, a, a, an engaging storyline where you can say that I played this for the characters and I played this for the emotional experience and you would not be wrong to say that. And ultimately, this is a thesis statement that I think is worth pursuing. I may have some struggles talking about the sexual aspects of some of this media just because I went to Catholic school for 12 years and did not have a lot of outlets to talk about this stuff with a healthy vocabulary that makes me feel confident in this kind of topic. Um, And I am, there's a part of me that's very much like, man, I hope that this is good because otherwise we're going to have to delete 30 minutes of audio that's about to come out um, because I, yeah, this is weird for me. But at the same time, every piece of media deserves to be criticized and evaluated for what it is, right? Just because something has a sex scene doesn't mean it should be discredited. And we would feel very silly ruling out films that had sex scenes in them Uh, just because those scenes are present. That's part of the human experience. 
That's part of the narrative experience. And whatever smutty romance novel you have in your head when I talk about this kind of game still deserves to be analyzed from a critical lens because it is media, because people took time to write it and build it, and it should be evaluated as such. So that's my thesis statement. Um, I, I'm never going to feel good about it, but it is a thing that I played for a surprising number of hours over the last several weeks of my life. So here we are, Walter. <laughs> I guess, what Chase, do you want to know? Chase, only uh -huh. you would take something so beautiful and so pure as a porn game and make <laughs> it something so dirty and and clinical as using the word thesis on it. <laughs> so I guess since we know where you begin with it, you begin with this academic clinical lens, uh, mm. we can directly infer uh, that your favorite fetish is schoolgirls and did it live up to that? <laughs> I mean, this is a game set on a college campus, so I'm not going to be able to beat that particular allegation, so I'm not going to try. Um, this is a game that is very much built on the, like, Animal House Van Wilder school of storytelling, albeit uh, in a world in which everyone provides enthusiastic consent, and if consent is not given, everyone's cool backing off on the sexual front. Which, for the record, shout out to Dr. Pinkcake, yes, that is the name of the developer, um, for recognizing that. Um, it would be very easy to fall into a lot of stereotypes that define the 80s and 90s versions of the genre, um, in ways that have not aged particularly well, and none of those are present, which is fantastic. Um, there's some other stuff that is present um, that I guess is worth getting into now, um, because as you can guess from being a dick, this is a game that is very tongue-in-cheek in how it handles things. There is an affinity meter, Walter. Um, you can imagine, right, that dick is one end of the spectrum. Dick, of course, in this context, being the Delta Iota Kappa fraternity on campus. D-I-K, of course. Um, you've got the Tri-Alphas, which are the jocks. Uh, the Tri-Betas, which are the nerds. Um, the Hots, of course, are the sorority, the Eta Omicron Tau, um, which the uh, Eta looks like an H, so... The hots are indeed exactly what you would think they would be. Um, and you've got an affinity meter, Walter, um, where you can be kind of two types of choices. You've got dick and chick. Uh, and that's the affinity by which this game judges things. And it's not, you know, amazing that the quote-unquote good option is being called chick, though I guess if you were going to stereotype the fact that the, like, nice, respectful uh, answer, the one that actually puts you on a path towards the majority of relationships that are available in this game is labeled as chick, at least means that the stereotypes they're using are meant to be positive in some level. Um, so there's that going for it, which is nice. Um, but it is a college-like story, right? This is you are a freshman um, that you get to name, but goes by the, the nickname Tremolo. So I'm just going to use that kind of handle on uh, social media as the way to uh, refer to him moving forward. Um, poor kid who, uh, you know, didn't really catch on in high school as a result of that kind of journey, but goes to college trying to make something of himself and trying to fit in in an environment that is not always uh, easy for kids that do not know uh, what they want and haven't had those life experiences because he hasn't financially been able to do so. Of course, along the way, you're going to meet a cavalcade of uh, women who you can choose to romance or not. And throughout the first seven episodes of the eight episodes that have come out for season one and two, spoiler alert, I played season two as well, um, <laughs> there's... Uh, you know, kind of these uh, five romanceable girls that are the um, paths that you can take for the main story. And then there are the side girls, which are all the people that you can hook up with if you decide to take the dick route uh, and just go all in on the uh, sexy scene side of things, which means that you're kind of presented with, do you want more 
sexual encounters with women that you may or may not have a strong attachment to emotionally? Or do you want to settle down and focus on a couple girls that you genuinely have affection for and would like to build a relationship with? Uh, and up until episode eight, the game's willing to say, go for all those plans as long as you're picking options that, you know, these women would enjoy, though you do have to then break up with all the ones that you don't pick at the end of episode eight. So pros and cons, I suppose, in playing the field there. Um, do you, shall I go into the characters here? What are you, what are you looking for? I mean, for me? Because what am I looking for? Chase, this is <laughs> this is fantastic. Listen, this is fantastic. Hey. I will uh <laughs> like I said, any opportunity to allow you to embarrass yourself, I'm gonna be the one to take it. Uh please ignore the fact there's a ten minute wrestling promo where I brag about being better at guessing gambling lines than you on YouTube. Um mm-hmm. and like here's the thing, right? Your premise, your thesis actually makes a lot of sense. Um, because Chase, I know you went to Catholic school for 12 years, um, but there's this thing called the internet, right? And there's this thing called porn. Mm -hmm. And like, I could just look at images of naked women online, uh, at the click of a button. Uh, and then I could also, you know, as you paid for this game, I could pay to look at images or videos of naked women on the internet as well. So I guess... This is where we do have to dive into your thesis and we're talking about the characters is actually going to matter. Why would I choose being a dick? Well, because context is everything, right? You know, you can see a video of a random woman on the internet and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not here to uh, shame anybody for what they do or do not enjoy. But you're not going to get the experience of a, you know, the, the rich girl who... Uh, has been sheltered through a lot of her life, um, having been hit on by a whole bunch of guys who are really only interested in her title or money, uh, who looks out for you uh, as you get bullied by the tri-alphas and alienated by the preppy rich asshole Tybalt. Because of course his name is fucking Tybalt, who is creepily obsessed with her um, and tries to force her to go on a bunch of dates with him uh, to get around suing you for daring to prank his uh, mansion. Um, you know, And is nervous about her piano recital that she has coming up because she's practiced for a long time, but she doesn't know how to perform in front of an audience without freaking out. And you swoop in playing your guitar because you have that one musical instrument that serves as your pride and joy as a possession uh, and end up playing ahead of her so that she can overcome her stage fright, join you on stage for a powerful duet, uh, and then end up stealing the show herself in this cathartic moment in which she's finally able to achieve her dream uh, and is willing to take that leap on a romantic level Uh, that she's previously been unable to access before because she's never found someone who cared about her for her the way that you do. That's not going to happen in the random porn video that you find on the internet. It's just not. It's not how those narratives go. Um, But in the same way that romance novels have always been more engaging than your average video on the internet, just because there is that character and that depth, all of the women in this are really genuinely well-written. Like, there's a lot of thought put into how these characters interact with the world um, and how they bounce off of each other. You've got Sage, who's the senior. She's a party chick, and she's just interested in a friends with benefits. She's not really willing to let anyone in after dumping Chad, the head of the Tri-Alphas, who ends up being a thorn in your side during a large part of this. But you then discover that she's writing a thesis statement, and she's really good at this whole school thing. She parties hard, but she studies hard too. And a lot of her trepidations come from not willing to risk losing a friend that has been there for her during a tumultuous period in which she was cheated on and struggles to emotionally connect with that and and, uh, find peace in finding out the truth of what her ex-boyfriend has been up to. Especially when you find out that the person that uh, that he cheated on her with 
is the guy who was your asshole ex-roommate in the first episode of the game. Oh my goodness, what do you do with that knowledge? Do you tell her, do you not? There's drama and there's empathy that means that when you do choose her route, it matters because she's overcome this insecurity that she had about letting people in and is willing to choose a relationship in a way that she wouldn't have otherwise. That matters. That connection, the, the depth that these characters have, and I've only named two of them um, in, in here, all of the main girls have a lot going on, and even the side girls have a lot that's happening. Sure, you're going to have your party girls. There's like five women who are strippers at the Pink Rose, which is the strip club that several scenes take place at. But at the end of the day, even they get some character. Envy is a 30-year-old woman who has a kid that she's trying to support as a single mom. And you find her on a dating app, and she's not sure if she should be responding to a 19-year-old. But you demonstrate that you're genuinely interested in her, even as you're on the dick route, because being a dick doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that you're horny and not good at kind of keeping that part of you in. Um, and which is much more fun, right, than just being an asshole to women. That wouldn't have been very fun or enjoyable. You're always empathetic um, and listening and caring about these people. And so when you're able to make that connection and you then find her at a bar um, because you're kind of uh, fraternity dad is trying to make up for being an asshole to you for several episodes before that point. Uh, and she introduces you to her fellow stripper friend, Sandy. You know, there's like an emotional beat there. And sure, it's just there to set up a threesome scene that is well executed. But like, <laughs> they cared enough to give her a character and to give you that level of like wants and needs that she has. That's that's cool. I think that's cool. Isn't that cool? My voice is cracking, so you can tell how confident I am now in asserting this. It's it's definitely, like, interesting, right? It definitely adds a level to this of, like, the joke, you know, the the joke about, like, well, nobody reads Playboy for the articles, right? Like, it, it, it does. This is, no, 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 you're reading Playboy for the articles because, hey, there's actually some good stuff in there, apparently. And like they've done some interesting interviews and you can tell I'm listening to behind the bastards talk about Vince McMahon because I'm talking about Playboy like but mm -hmm. it, so I understand that and that is one of the things of like my question earlier is like I can look at boobs on the internet what else are you bringing here like you mentioned with with Slay the Spire earlier right you have to bring something else to the table beyond just the place setting right you have to give mm -hmm. me something else to 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 crunch on you know something something to eat here right you got to give me something tangible besides just window dressing and it seems like you're you're sort of proving your thesis a little bit here that there is something here deeper than just some uh as as steam uh describes it uh let me find the numbers here again uh 361 animated scenes and 8000 images <laughs> that there actually yeah. is an 8 to 12 hour game that can be replayed numerous times uh let's stay on the the characters for a minute was there a particular favorite character uh, that that caught your attention that you really liked, you know, the story, the writing, one of the 8,000 images, like, was there someone that really caught your attention? Well, I already named two of them that, that did a great job in, uh, in Jill and in Sage. Uh, those are the two I think I gravitated the most towards by the end of my time with this experience. I'll just throw out that Quinn has a really interesting storyline compared to what you would think. Um, she is up to this point a side girl, though I believe she's being upgraded to main girl status in the next game. Uh, she is uh, one of the kind of leaders of the HOTS, um, and she delves into some of the darker elements of the story, which the game is willing to get into some darker side of things. Um, she sells drugs, uh, and she pimps out a couple of the HOTS girls. Uh, you can pay money in in-game currency in order to unlock sex scenes, which is you know, mechanically a smart way to do things, right? If you're on the dick route and there's a particular girl you're interested in, 
Well, use the resources that you earned in game to unlock the scene that you want. That makes sense from a gameplay perspective. But it also ends up mattering from a narrative perspective because the reason she's doing that is because the sorority needs to pay their funds. They don't do events and the traditional things that the fraternities do in order to pay for their uh, their income. And so this is the way they've chosen to do that. It's obviously a harsher way of doing that, and different girls are going to feel differently about it. Um, Mona is the kind of casualty in being forced beyond what she's comfortable with, and they have to deal with the aftermath of having pushed her too far. But Quinn, who, and you know, if you play the quote-unquote chick route, the good route is just an absolute asshole towards people that you care about and you don't really understand why, becomes a lot more empathetic when you recognize that she's a stoner in way over her head um, who has been mistreated by her family basically from start to finish and is very scared of making a connection. She is willing to turn to you in certain aspects um, and the sexual side of it is easy to pull off. You can just, there's just a scene in which you get to choose whether or not you want to smoke weed on top of the roof. And if you do, she's going to have sex with you, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's a smut game. That's the way this works. Certain choices lead to sex. <laughs> it's the thing that happens. But the part that really grabs you is the scene in chapter eight, where you can convince her to like hold your hand in public. Uh, something that she's inherently vehemently opposed to. She is she hates PDA, and she goes on a rant about how much she hates this kind of thing. She compares it to broccoli, and now you have a running joke because any time that you take a picture with her or show any kind of affection towards her, you know she's you're you're kind of making the joke like, oh, am I you know am I broccoli? Is that my nickname now? Is that you know is this as bad as it, you thought it was? And she starts warming up just a little bit. She's just a little bit willing to come out of her shell and be a kinder person than she is if you aren't interested in embracing the quote-unquote bad girl persona that she puts out from the very beginning. That's cool. That's a really fun and interesting storyline. And it's pretty incredible that a sex game managed to make the not-sex part the most interesting part of her character. In most other storylines, getting the sex scene is the reward you get from having put the points and made the right choices in the visual novel you know, kind of format of making choices when asked to build your character and to add kind of these behind-the-scenes kind of systemic details that customize your experience. And the thing that grabs you is the thing that's not sexual at all. Because, of course, sex is easy to quit. It's the intimacy that's hard. And that's a really human experience to touch on. That is in, in, incredible to hear. Because here's the thing. I've, I've heard of this game before. I am, I am prone to utilize the internet, and I am prone to use a certain tool in, uh, in, in, on Reddit, uh, slash random NSFW. And I have stumbled across uh, the Reddit page for this previously, and I very much like dismissed it about being like, I, I don't know what the fuck this is. This looks like some weird weird you know it looks like a sex visual novel but now going back to that page i have looked it up to look at it it is a lot of discussion about you know about the game that doesn't come across as like which chick's hotter this one or this one like it does seem like there's discussion and some of it is you know what's the best way to do this or i can't get this scene or things like that but it does seem like there's some actual discussion about the plot about the characters about reasoning why you like a character other than just like the physical aspects of uh, of the character i will say though one of the things that as i've gone through it and looked at it that is it's a little weird is I, the art style is a little ah, I don't know. It it, it looks fake. <laughs> it, it looks so fake to me that yeah. it's a little off-putting kind of staring at some of the screenshots from this that are here on Steam. It it very much looks like someone, you know, making a game using Unreal Engine 3 or whatever. And I'm not being, you know, critical of Dr. Pink Cake in any way, shape or form. But that does come across as a little off-putting to me if I was looking at this to be a sexual experience. Uh, so ultimately, Chase, I am going to ask you, 
Uh, I'm going to ask you two questions, actually. One, does your thesis match up? Is is all of the hubbubaloo about this actually being a a very good, uh, if not the best, uh, story version of what these types of adult visual novels could be? And my second question is, is there actually a way to play this game without any of the sex? Or is it just so kind of built into it that it's, it's kind of hard to avoid? Oh, there's sex everywhere. You can't avoid it. There's so many, like, you fall asleep and you have a dream sequence about the teacher that you said was hotter when you were pointed to two of them at a lunch table when you went to the cafeteria that day. Like, you're, it's unavoidable. Um, that's the game that it's trying to be. It's not afraid of being that genre, and it executes that as well as it's going to be able to, given the art style. And art styles are going to be different for everybody, right? Some people are going to prefer the more, like, Japanese hentai models. Some people are going to enjoy the three models that you see here. I'm not here to judge anybody for their individual tastes. There's no right or wrong answer on that front. But this is a sex game. That's the thing that it is. That's the thing that a lot of choices will circle back to. And while you can opt out of a good number of sex scenes, you're never going to get away from that angle of it because that's the whole reason the game exists. That's the thing that it is. Um, it would be like a romance novel. Like, can I skip the romance part? No, you can't. It's a romance novel. It's a romance game. Um, so that, that part of it I have to kind of write off. I, I will say that I focused a lot on the characters in my description of this game, and it's mostly because the plot gets messy when you evaluate it. There are a lot of beats because I've, again, played all eight episodes and judging season one versus season two would be a whole different conversation than the one that I'm interested in having. I will say that the game does not do itself any favors when it starts with this, like, you know, if you're in a bad place in your life or if you're likely to get triggered, you should put this game down right now because we deal with sensitive topics and we don't have time for you and your feelings to get all offended and things. Ultimately, just to have, like, some outdated opinions on feminism. Not even, like, negative necessarily, just, like, the idea that, like, both sides should be respected in the feminism conversation is if both sides have equal merit to what they have to say. Like, whatever, right? There's a lot worse takes out there, and it's pretty milk toast, all things considered. And again, the chick side of things is the quote-unquote good side that has you give the nicest responses and allows you to become the most comfortable with the most number of romanceable characters. So it's not like the game thinks feminism is bad. It just, for whatever reason, wants you to think that anti-feminists are people that this is opinion you should respect. And I don't know, a little weird both sides he take there, but your guy makes a porn game, right? He's going to have some takes about women's rights that aren't 100% as progressive as maybe you want them to be. It's not nearly as bad as his intro implies, but it is enough that when you notice these things um, or the couple times that your character, who's otherwise very empathetic towards a lot of things, uses gay as an insult, where it's just like, that wasn't necessary. Like, you know, maybe if you're on the dick storyline, like, I kind of get it. But if you're playing the nice storyline, it's weird that you make that call. But, like, whatever, it's not a main thing. And if you're interested in the characters, you can kind of skip over that bit, and it's not really a big deal. Um, there are plot hooks that make more sense than others. There are mini games that it throws at you some of which are genuinely fun and some of which are an absolute chore. Uh, shout out to the mansion minigame where you're rebuilding the fraternity house after the tri-alphas destroy it. That's a really fun minigame. If you like management games, it has just enough going on there that you feel really smart when you put the puzzle together and end up rebuilding the house uh, in time for the big Halloween party that's going to be the centerpiece of season three. Um, and the absolute opposite of a shout out to uh, all of the sh tile puzzle games that the game tries to make you complete. Fuck sliding tile puzzles. They should not exist in any game ever. And I hate that so much of uh, sexual content is built around these slider puzzles as if anyone has... I've never met anyone who enjoys these things. I don't know who they're for and I don't know why they exist. And there are a few other mini games that kind of are frustrating that way. There's a lot of like hunting around for renders if you want to unlock all of the sexy images that are possible that 
Of course, you can just opt out of doing, but if you have an OCD brain like me, you're going to want to collect them all, which if you're going to do that, then the only way to get the guide that you want is to pay an extra $3 to unlock that feature in-game, which is a little skeevy to do as DLC, but if you're enjoying the game enough that you care to unlock all the things, then I suppose there are worse fates than to spend a couple bucks to be able to know what it is that you're doing and the amount of time you save is probably worth more than whatever that dollar sign would have been worth to you. Um, but, you know, plot hiccups aside and, and minigame choices being a mixed bag, this is a game about characters. This is a game in which it's, a you know, you're building connections with each of the different women and... Uh, and your fraternity brothers that make up this place and the decisions you make and how they impact those relationships. Uh, and I think that's cool. I think that part is really well done. I think Dr. Pink Cake, and again, that is his name. I'm using the thing that he wants to be called. Um, I think has a good understanding of how people work. And that's the biggest thing that I think is missing in a lot of games of the genre. You either find people who are like unable to categorize how people would react and therefore end up with plot points that are absolute nonsense, or they just don't have the writing capacity to avoid like really obvious grammatical errors or spelling mistakes because maybe English isn't their first language or they're just not particularly inclined in that way and just wanted to get a whole bunch of sexy women in a place and didn't really think about it. This game does think about it. This game does understand people. And I think that's the reason why people who like being a dick purport it this way. Is because whatever flaws there may be, it's not as tightly written as some other visual novels that I've played. It gets the part that matters. It gets the part that connects you to these women and makes you want to unlock all these relationships with them. And for that, I guess I recommend this? I don't know. Porn games are weird. You know, there's a whole thing about, like, do you buy a porn game on your main account because you want to, you know, do you fear hiding it from, you know, your fellow friends on your friend list and whatnot? And I don't have any answers to you for that. I, you know, if you're not into the sexual side of it, this game's only going to be... It's going to get you so far. That's really, again, the core thing that the game always loops back to. But... I get why people like it. There's a lot of characterization that's done really well, and there were genuine moments that affected me, that made me emotionally feel things beyond horniness. So, well done, Dr. Pinkcake. I'm looking forward to season three, and I do recommend this to people who managed to get this far in the episode without feeling like this was all a mistake. So, hopefully... All of this tracks, and I'm not gonna hate myself for having recorded this tomorrow. I I I don't think you've said anything embarrassing here. I think out of just just the context of it being like, yeah, I played a porn game is like, okay, and and I've watched porn. I think everybody's <laughs> watched porn. And I think this I think ultimately, Chase, this is a good thing for you. Now, I am not a therapist or a psychiatrist. I have no doctorate in any way, shape, or form. But I think that we've uh we've made a breakthrough here today. Uh, if I'm going to <laughs> jokingly quote that. Uh because this is art, right? Uh, why mm. is it that we treat this with kid gloves, right? It, it exists. I think everybody on the planet has, pardon my French, masturbated before. You know, I I think that, yeah, can I understand, like, maybe you don't necessarily want to talk with your buddies about your fetishes and your kinks and, you know, the, the favorite porn videos you have. Absolutely. Um, but, like, we've all talked to each other about, like, our crushes, Right. We've all talked mm -hmm. about our celebrity crushes, our celebrity hall pass or whatever you want to want to discuss. And I think we should be OK and confident enough in our own sexuality to be like, yeah, cool. I, you know, I want to try and play this and I'm not going to create a second Steam account just because I don't want my friends to see I'm playing a porn game. You know, there's people out here like Sonic Fox that walk around in a full furry suit. And like, to me, I might go, well, one, I'm not a furry, but two, I would never fucking do that even if I was. And like this, this person is out there being full out proud, excited about 
about who he is. He had his goddamn team make a jersey big enough to fit on his fursuit, like this entire thing. And I think it's more about confidence and understanding that, like, yeah, maybe, you know, your podcast co-host will make some jokes and will obviously pick the the hentai slash porn game because he knows it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable and that's slightly funny to him. And then you're going to turn around with a college essay about how this is actually like a really well-written story. And now he fucking wants to play this game and not because he <laughs> wants to jerk off. Like, this actually sounds interesting. Yeah. Alec, if you like college narratives, if Animal House or any of those kinds of films have been something you're interested in and, you know, you've gotten this far in the pod, I do recommend it. Um, I don't think my cheeks will ever stop being red, but that's okay uh, because we've reached the end of the episode. I done did the thing. Take that Catholic school upbringing. Um, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Well, see, you guys can find the secretly recorded video version of this over on my OnlyFans. Uh, no, that that's that's a joke. I would never actually do that to Chase. That would be that would be that would be mean, borderlining on cruel uh, to to do a video version of this. Uh, but as always. You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL on Twitter. You can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. Uh, and as always, you can listen to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, either on the individual separate feeds for Steam Cleaners and Final Cut or on the combined Rough Drafts podcast feed. Absolutely. You can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. Usually I would say throw whatever hate or anger my way if you want to give me a tough time. Maybe slight kid gloves on this one. This is well outside my comfort zone, but hopefully y'all thought this was interesting. Uh, If you did, certainly let me know. And if you're like, never do this again, that's fair. Um, But we will uh, sort that out in time for now. I think it's time for us to to say goodbye here and wait until two weeks from now where we talk about two completely different, probably not NSFW games. So until then, goodbye, Internet.